Good afternoon, fellow patriots. This is Matt Shea, broadcasting from deep inside the heart of the future Liberty State, brought to you once again by On Fire Ministries and the legacy of Dr. Stan Monteith, bringing you the story behind the story. And the news behind the news is not about right or left, it's about right and wrong, about our hope not being in man, but in Jesus Christ, and about not ending in prayer, but moving to action. Of the gospel of the kingdom, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling or habitation of God in the Spirit. I want to give some encouragement today. And on Tuesday, we, we had to do the show live from the road. So it was a little bit hard to hear, but that's okay. We actually still had that technology. Well, we are in a time right now when the Spirit of God is beginning to move massively. And we're seeing miracles happen. We're seeing people that should have died be totally healed, completely healed. And this is where we want to continue to grow into for this great harvest. Now, I, I want to I tackle something about this time because the great harvest, the greatest harvest. And by the way, you can read this in Matthew 13. He talks about the great harvest and the great harvest is at the end of the age. Okay, so by Jewish historical standards, if we go by the school of the prophets that uh, was set up by Elijah, the idea was that a week, so seven days, actually was a constant reminder to us of the seven ages of the world. And you, you've probably read about this, if you read Lord of the Rings, there were three ages and each was about 2,000 years each. Now, I know I just said ages in the, in the reference of 1,000 years. Just follow me for a second. 2,000 years each, there are three ages, and then there's one age of 1,000 years. And the whole point behind Lord of the Rings bringing that in is that that is a, that was a, and is a biblical worldview rooted in Jewish culture, understanding, Tradition. Now, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. This is, again, leaning and pointing toward this idea. So we know that every 2,000 years or so, according, again, to Jewish history, something big happens. This is why in the New Testament, in Luke, you had people waiting for Jesus at the temple. They were waiting. God had promised them, and they were waiting because they understood the signs of the times. They understood the seasons, and they were waiting and ready. So, according to Jewish history, each day is a thousand years in the week. So, the world will end up being about 7,000 years old. In other words, 2,000 years from the time of Adam through the flood another 2,000 years to the time of Jesus, and then 2,000 years to the next change of the age, which is what is called the kingdom age, or the 1,000-year literal reign of Jesus Christ with his saints, by the way, on the earth. Now, the early church fathers all taught this, that there would be a literal 1,000-year 
reign on the earth. Literal 1,000 years. Happius, it's a fragment, I believe it's fragment six. Uh, one of the, the, the disciples of John said, I, Papius, was taught by John. John taught a literal 1,000-year reign on the earth. So, I mean, there really isn't a question about this from a historical standpoint of what the understanding was in the first century and second century following the death of, and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, it's only been changed in more recent times to say that they're, oh, it's just going to pan out. There isn't a literal 1,000-year reign, but even Jewish history understood this. So if you take 2,000 years from A.D. 30, we're AD 32. Now, I learned, lean toward AD 30, but okay, let's say it's AD 32. We're now in a season that we should be looking for something, right? Now, this doesn't, it's not saying we're going we're gonna to try to claim a date or anything like that. It just means there's a season here. In fact, after Jesus was crucified, he said, these are the last times, right? This this is how we know because Jesus has been crucified, the helper been sent. So we know we're in the last time. It's not even up for debate. But we should be looking forward to the great harvest. And one of the marks of the great harvest is the move of the Spirit. Now, there are certain uh, people out there, they, they call themselves cessationists. They believe that the, the Holy Spirit stopped moving back during the time of the apostles or just after the time of the apostles. Well, but it says that we have apostles as a ministry, one of the fivefold ministries, so that, that really didn't ever end. But even more importantly, you can actually see that for 300 plus years, there were apostles after this too, okay? And that, and they were, oh, well, they were bishops. and No, they were actually talking about this as a ministry of one of the five-fold ministries. I don't want to get in too deep there, but I do want to say that the move of the Holy Spirit is critical, and the people that say the Holy Spirit is not moving are the same as the Pharisees during the time of Jesus. They actually believed that Holy Spirit stopped moving around the time of Ezra. So they were the cessationists of the day, and actually Jesus himself challenged them more than anybody else, if you read the New Testament, for their traditions and belief that were rooted in man, not in God. Now, the moves of the Holy Spirit make some people very, very uncomfortable. And I just want to talk briefly about this. Because Holy Spirit is not weird, people are. And if we pray and somebody's healed, why are we weirded out by that? If we pray for somebody and the oppression that has been on them through a demonic spirit is gone, why should we be weirded out by that? If somebody is so overcome by the Lord that they go into his presence and stay in the same place for an hour or two hours being in his presence, why should we be weirded out by that? Because this is exactly what happened back in the day. And in fact, you can read some of the ancient rabbis descriptions of when the law was given that a fire swirled around the camp and this is on the same day by the way that we call pentecost now that the holy spirit also came in fire 
we we are in a place right now where people are heresy hunting and there are some things we can outright call heresy if you deny the trinity that is a heresy in fact it's one of the marks of a cult actually according to the official theological definitions of these things so you can't say something is a cult if they're not denying the trinity okay so that you, you can't do that because it's theologically unsound and you're just making stuff up so the other part of this is that when we have somebody denying the power of God, and this is what scripture says, we have somebody getting dangerously close to heresy. So we can say unequivocally using scripture, certain things are heresy. Now, here's the problem though. People will have an issue with a ministry. I'm going to take Bethel, for example, because that seems to be the most controversial for some people. Now, to attack Bethel music, people will say, you can't listen to Bethel music. If you listen to Bethel music, that that is sin. That's evil. And they, they cite that, that Bethel may teach things that are not scriptural, and therefore we have to abandon all the music. Abandon all the teaching. Oh, and by the way, ignore all of the fruit, the saved lives, the changed lives, the transformed lives out of that. We have to totally ignore that and cut it all off. And literally, the argument is throw the baby out with the bathwater. Here's the problem with that. If you use that standard, and the standard that I personally use is you eat the meat and you spit out the bones. Okay, You compare things to scripture. If it doesn't line up, then you ignore it. But if you use the standard of these so-called heresy hunters, which is actually a heresy in and of itself, because what it's doing is saying that everything must be wrong if one thing's wrong, and that is literally a logical fallacy. It is a lie. A logical fallacy is a lie, and we know where lies come from. They come from the evil one. So here is the argument that is used. Okay. If this one ministry, Bethel, or, or the other one is Benny Hinn or somebody. Let's just choose Benny Hinn and Bethel. The bees. Benny Hinn and Bethel. If they've taught something wrong, you've got to throw everything out. You have to ignore all the fruit out of the ministry. Condemn them totally and throw everything out completely. And the quick question that you can ask somebody in a situation like that is, have you actually read their book? Like, for example, Good Morning, Holy Spirit. Have you read the lyrics of the songs, Bethel, uh, I don't know, King of My Heart or something like that? Have you actually read those things? Most people will say no or not really. Well, if you haven't read it, then you can't really comment on it because you lose all credibility when you do something like that. You become quite literally what people are fighting in the political sphere, in the governmental sphere today, those who will vote a bill in without reading it. Now, which is hypocrisy. Now, here's the other part of this. By that same standard, you would have to stop singing Amazing Grace because it came out of the Anglican movement, which is one of the greater heresies of the last 300 years because the King of England is not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is, period. So you'd have to throw that out because it was rooted in that. 
Well, that doesn't make sense. Amazing Grace is an anointed song. We recognize that, that there's fruit that comes out of that. Another one, Martin Luther. You'd have to throw out all of his teachings because of his anti-Semitic rants at the end of his life. In addition to some other things that were doctrinally unsound. But justification by faith completely reformed the church and changed it for the good of humanity. And the good of the body. Got rid of our our walking down the path of indulgences and, and this idea of purgatory. And put us back toward the saving blood of Jesus Christ. So these people that use this standard are logically inconsistent. And we must, as Christians, in the time of the great harvest, reject such division and discord and dishonor and instead find the reasons to build up our brothers and sisters. And it means sometimes we can disagree with them, but we, we need to find the reasons to build up our brothers and sisters. During the time of the harvest, we need to find the reasons to return to prayer and worship and repentance. And worship for some people, they like to dance. You cannot tell people in Africa on the mission field that they can't dance when you're worshiping because it's part of their culture. And yet there are entire denominations that try to condemn that. So instead of doing that, let's, let's build each other up in the time that we're in right now. Pursue worship, pursue prayer, pursue repentance, pursue baptism. Allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives and let's be led by the Spirit as the scripture says and watch the world be transformed. How much effort have we wasted trying to find every little thing Instead of paying attention to where God is leading in this time. Now, this is a conviction for all of us, myself included. That we need to press into Jesus Christ. Let him lead us. And bless our brothers and sisters as we walk together to expand the kingdom. And that is, today anyway, I hope a word of encouragement to all of you. And that brings us now to your daily intelligence briefing. On the international front, we're going to start with this the obvious biggest story out there. Uh, one, maybe two missiles landing in Poland, killing two people. Um, was it a Ukrainian air defense missile or was it a Russian cruise missile? Uh, NATO, Poland, the United States say it was a Ukrainian air defense missile. And... Then they said this, and this is key. Now, everybody's arguing back and forth of who it was. It's irrelevant. If the Ukrainians were defending their own territory from a massive missile attack by Russia that Russia instigated, they have a right to do that. If something went astray, they have the right to say, we're sorry and apologize. People are paying attention to Zelensky denying this still and Biden. And I really find both of those things irrelevant, honestly. The, the relevant thing here is NATO said, we don't care either way. Russia was to blame for this. And 
we were precariously close to Poland not only asking for an Article 4. Now, Article 4 is bringing all of the alliance members together as part of the NATO compact, bringing them all together to consult on the next actions, next steps. Article 5 says that when NATO members attacked, it's essentially all alliance members will come together in the defense of that. And I, I didn't, some people were using the word triggered, and that really isn't accurate because it's not automatic. But it technically would be triggered if one NATO member was attacked and they said, hey, we're going to invoke this. We want everybody to come to our aid. So I guess the best way to put it is it, it will at least start the discussion down that road. And, and again, people were getting all upset about people using the word triggered. Again, I, that's irrelevant stuff. The relevant thing is we came really close to an excuse, a pretext for NATO to get involved. And people were saying, well, why would Russia do anything? I mean, listen, people need to read about Anatoly Galitsyn. So he defected from the former Soviet Union and he outlined the, the program which was, and what we know today is the fake fall of the Soviet Union that actually was not real. Soviet Union didn't fall, it just changed forms, and the KGB for the entire time was in control. And Galitsyn details this, so, and people seem to not read that, I don't know why. And we take General Mihai Pachipa, and his stuff, very accurate, and then people are like, well, what about Galitsyn? I guess we don't read him. Well, we, we do read him, and we understand that the KGB and a former KGB man are still in control of Russia. So people were saying, well, why would Russia ever do that? Well, this came to us from open source intelligence on Twitter. They, they being Poland and Germany, announced that they were going to nationalize Gazprom assets the morning this happened. The second thing that I would give you is Russia lost the better part of an entire army group in Kherson. And now because the Ukrainians have captured Kherson, if you look on the map, the Kinburn split is right across, which is Crimea, and all of Crimea now is arguably in range of Ukrainian artillery. In fact, to the point that the Russians started removing one of their helicopter bases. So Russia's being backed into a corner. So to say that, well, why would Russia ever do that? Well, they're being backed into a corner. As we've talked about the, on this show many times before. So at some point, they were going to test NATO. And, and this happened, whether it's an accident or not. And here's the biggest point of all. NATO was tested. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. So will China take this as something to embolden them? Will Russia take this? I, I don't know. But we came really close. And my point through this is, not only was NATO tested, but there could very easily be a pretext. Whenever the globalists want to, to explode this into World War III. Now, I also want to mention, shifting back over to China, 
I mean, this is all over Twitter. China, Chinese uh, Emperor Xi Jinping intentionally and very coldly and calculatingly humiliated the Canadian president. Now, I'm not saying that that's a hard thing to do, but what I am saying is that it was very apparent that the Chinese are serious about ruling the world. And you could see it in the, the body language. You could see it in the swagger. Very clear. And if we don't take this seriously, we're wrong. And so I was really pleased today, again, coming to us from multiple sources. Epoch Times, I believe, has, has this as well. We here at Patriot Radio are excited that the Republicans have introduced a bill specifically about the Chinese buying up farmland near our military bases. We need to prevent that from happening. Amen. Finally. I want to shift also next on the international front to the Taliban holds parade, proudly showing off weapons, equipment abandoned, abandoned by the U.S. government. This is coming to us from the uh, New American. And uh, what if? Now, I, I mean, militarily uh, this and tactically, this was not a decision to leave all that equipment behind. It just doesn't make sense. There's one road coming from the north to the south. We had special forces on the ground there in Afghanistan that could have easily been there on that route if they weren't already, observing them coming north to south, and then the U.S. flying sorties in there to destroy that entire convoy coming down and delay them so we could get our equipment out. So this is not a tactical decision. So that's a, that leaves really one other option, and that is a political decision. What if... Travis, what do you think about this? What if Joe Biden told the Chinese you can have Bagram Air Base on the Silk Road if you help me with the election? Ooh. That would be a bombshell. Interesting question. It doesn't make sense that the U.S. left all this equipment there. And, I mean, they're throwing it in our faces right now. If Trump was president, this would not have happened. Russians would have invaded Ukraine. This would not have happened. And to my Ukrainian friends, this is so important for you to understand, to understand U.S. mentality. If Trump was president, Ukraine would not have been invaded. And... Oh, by the way, wasn't it Green Berets that were training Ukrainian army during the Trump administration so that there could be an actual self-defense? So don't misread things there. A strong America brings peace to the world. Now, shifting next to Brazil. Now, this has gone underreported. We've posted a lot up on Twitter about this. Quote, civil war looms in Brazil. Far-left Supreme Court wants to ax Minister of Defense for telling the truth about stolen election. End quote. It's coming to us from Gateway Pundit. Hundreds of thousands. I'm going to say millions because it is millions. Continue to protest in the streets of Brazil. And there is a Supreme Court Justice, Alexandre de Mores, who wants the Minister of Defense removed because... 
The Minister of Defense there in Brazil had to file a report about the election and said this as a finding, quote, it is not possible to say the electronic voting system is free from the influence of malware that could affect its outcome, end quote. So Brazilians are in the street saying, we don't want a communist. And oh, by the way, Lula da Silva, this guy, part of the Socialist International, but also was convicted for embezzlement and is a communist. So, of course, the Brazilians don't want that. So they're fighting tooth and nail right now. They're in the streets right now in Brazil, in mass. And now it appears that the military is siding with Bolsonaro. This is going to get really interesting. And by the way, they're watching this happen because there's a similar sentiment here in the United States that our elections are not free, our elections are not fair, and that there is outside influence that could be potentially changing the outcome via electronic voting. Now, electronic voting defined as electronic voting machines, which are connected to the Internet. Okay, So we don't confuse that with remote voting or something like that. All right. This is interesting. This is what a Brazilian citizen asked. Supreme Court Minister, are you going to share the voting machine source code with the armed forces for investigation? Now, this is what we've called for here in the United States. The source code is audited for our voting machines here. Make sure there's not an algorithm that, oh, I don't know, flips every 100 votes, every 10 votes, every 50 votes. Here was the response. You lost, loser. Well, that's the kind of uh, response from a dictator. Why wouldn't you open it up? Unless there is something going on nefarious. And this is what everybody in Arizona should ask for. Every single machine in Arizona should be audited. The code should be audited. They should be sequestered immediately. Secured. And the logs should be audited who accessed and when. Now, Jair Bolsonaro's Liberal Party down there in Brazil presented its own report on possible voter fraud and found the manipulation or found that manipulation of the digital voting machines cannot be ruled out. Again, the people standing up there in Brazil and offering at least some ideas on what we could do here in the United States to audit, but also how we can all come together to stand up and be the government of the people. Now, moving next to the national front, momentous. Fed's advanced largest dam demolition in history. This is coming to us from the Washington Post, okay? U.S. regulators approved a plan Thursday to demolish four dams on a California river and open up hundreds of miles of salmon habitat. $500 million. Here's what they're doing. They are destroying the greatest source of power or having at least the the pretext to remove other dams, the precedent to remove other dams because of salmon habitat when hydropower is the most stable baseload power there is. By starting to remove dams, because next they're going to come after the snake, you know, they already have been, but I'm talking in, in earnest, even more than they are now. They start doing this 
And what it does is destabilize the entire power grid. Now, when I was on the Environment Committee, we talked about this issue exactly. And we were headed toward grid instability by 2030. Now, that is speeding up because they're, these regulations are essentially taking away baseload power. The, the best baseload power out there are hydroelectric dams and nuclear power, period. Baseload power means this is, this is the baseload that you never go below, and, and it always is going to meet a need. You might add a little bit that fluctuates above it based on need, but it's always there, always steady, always dependable. Hey, what we're seeing right now is a concerted effort to actually make the United States weaker on energy. We can only hope that some newly elected officials actually do something about that. Now, moving next on the national front to Epoch Times. And again, if you get the chance, you can go to ireadepoch.com, ireadepoch.com, promo code Patriot Radio, get to support two great causes by doing that. And you get it a significant discount too, so fantastic. Epoch Times, Senate advances bill to codify gay marriage as a federal right. Now, I, I want to just talk about this briefly. Um, anything that is codified can be uncodified, okay? So this isn't written in the Constitution. And in fact, what is written in the Constitution is that there should be no establishment of religion. Um, this homosexual marriage push is a religion in and of itself. Government should not be involved in marriage, period. Now, most people don't know that in the 1930s, because of communicable diseases, they started doing marriage licenses. Before that, generally speaking, this, this was a complete province of the church. Now, I want to talk about one other aspect of this, but the government just didn't get involved in it. What the government did do, and let me be more specific, what the law did, in other words, what the law recognized was marriage between one man and one woman for the purposes of wills, the purposes of property, to protect children. Now, people could enter into contracts that say pretty much anything as long as it's not an unconscionable contract. And it's not illegal in the sense of illicit activity, criminal activity. Two men could contract regarding property rights, like about who it was going to pass to upon their death, you know, through a will. What, I mean, whatever. So this idea that the government needs to be even involved in marriage is a, is a non-starter and, and literally a false sense of history. So, of course... This is always an opportunity to see how people vote. Well, 12 Republicans went along with this. Roy Blunt, Richard Burr, Shelley Capito, Susan Collins, Joni Ernst, Cynthia Loomis, Lisa Murkowski, who, by the way, lost a seat in Alaska, Rob Portman, Dan Sullivan, Mitt Romney, well, that's a surprise, Tom Tillis, and Todd Young. So... What they're clearly saying right now is they don't believe in the biblical standard of marriage. They are voting against the biblical standard of marriage. And let's be really clear about that. Marriage is between one man and one woman from a biblical perspective. From a constitutional perspective, government shouldn't even be involved 
but the law should recognize those things that are in the best interests of our civilization to continue, which is A, making kids and protecting those kids in a family environment, which, by the way, is the most healthy and most stable environment for them to be in, an environment where there is a mother and a father. So seeing these Republicans vote against this, I mean, it's just, it's just another sign that they are out of touch with the Make America Great movement, with the America First movement, and with a movement that says that America wants to return Jesus Christ to the center of our lives so he can be back at the center of our country. Last but not least, on the national front, Gateway Pundit, this is an investigation of Joe Biden. House Republicans announced investigation of Joe Biden and the Biden crime family, quote unquote. Look, I'm just going to cut to the chase on this. The question isn't necessarily even Joe Biden or Hunter Biden. The question is how infiltrated and how high up is our government here in this country? How infiltrated is it by the Chinese communists? That's the question. And the answer is, yes, it is infiltrated to the highest levels. So if that's the case, bold American patriots need to hold folks accountable and drive them out of office and out of these bureaucratic positions so that our own country and the, and the, the mechanics behind it money behind it, everything that brings forward the force of law behind it isn't corrupted and used against us by the Chinese communists. We have uh, talked many times on this show about that infiltration. And this isn't just my opinion. Uh, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin has the same opinion. And we need to ask ourselves, what are we going to do about that? Are we going to let these people continue? Are we going to let them continue? Or are we going to stand up as the government of the people, by the people, and for the people that says to them, enough is enough. This country, this republic will stand for another generation. And that is the brief. Remember the antidote to dependency socialism is to be a God-fearing, self-reliant, freedom-loving American. Thank you to everybody that has been praying for us. And make sure to go to all of the real media sources. You can go to find us on Twitter, Gab, Getter, MeWe, Parler. We're across all of the good social media sources. And share this stuff with your friends and family. Help, help the engagement, too. Don't, don't just read it. If you read it, like it. Hit like on there. Share it. We've got to get this out. And what we're finding is that, that uh, the legacy media is really upset that we can go around them. And so that's what we need to keep doing so that we can bless the next generation with freedom and with liberty as well. And our guest today here on Patriot Radio, Carl Tykrib. He's an influential researcher specializing in global trends toward global governance and all of the garbage that comes with it, including a unity of all world faiths. He is uh, best known, I think, for the Temple of Man and the Age of Reenchantment. 
He's the author of the, publica- uh, of the publication Forcing Change and also teaches a course on secular and pagan trends. You can find his resources at forcingchange.org, forcingchange.org. Carl, it's great to have you on Patriot Radio again. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to be with you. Are you wearing your Mao Zedong jacket today like uh, Biden and uh, Trudeau the other day? Or- no? <laughs> no? I'm afraid not. Sorry. Yes, I should wear maybe a little red hat uh, with a star or something in it. Um. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, we, we might as well be in uniform for the one world government, right? So, right, I, I right. Mean, th- a Che Guevara t-shirt. Right. <laughs> so we have <laughs> we have a pattern that's been happening over over the the last century. You know, World War One, League of Nations, World War Two, United Nations, but these. These didn't really achieve their aims, so it looks like they want to start, well, I don't know, World War III, so they have one world government, one world economy, and one world religion. Tell the listeners about the recent meeting, COP27, and what this means for this march toward globalism. Well, COP27 uh, is the Conference of the Parties. That's what COP means. COP, this is the 27th meeting of the Conference of the Parties to the Convention on Climate Change. And so you have, uh, as we're speaking, uh, it is taking place in Egypt. Approximately 33,000 delegates are attending. It is a high-level event. So that means you have heads of state, you have official government representation, you have a lot of representation from accredited non-governmental organizations, lobby groups, uh, what we would call NGOs, and it is the annual get-together of uh, fleshing through what a climate agenda looks like, specifically in terms of, of restructuring economics and what they consider to be a just transition, which is their language. So it's a social, economic, a cultural transition that moves us away from being independent to having a sense of interdependence where we operate collectively within a structure of global governance in order to save Mother Earth. Of course, that's that's the big one, right? We have to save our precious planet. Uh, really, it's not about saving the environment per se. In fact, we're going to do more damage in the attempt to save the environment because that's what man typically does. But we will certainly look at restructuring economics, having new new financial flows from the global north, that's the Western world, to the global south, and uh, including things like gender issues, um, within the climate change agenda, including things like social development. Um, And so all of a sudden we're going to realize that, oh golly, there is nothing that isn't touched by this uh, agenda because it is a global transition. And that includes things like food security. Uh, I know the U.S. delegation is really pushing for a connection between oceans and climate change. And so The Biden administration, the delegates that have gone to COP27 are promoting a a new ocean platform or an ocean agenda to connect to the climate change uh, campaigns so that you have net zero shipping, you will have green shipping corridors, uh, all of a sudden you have a a technocratic uh, management system now for ocean travel. But that's just one piece of the puzzle. It really is an encompassing um, approach 
because it, it tackles everything from uh, consumer uh, consumer behaviors to population, uh, family planning. Uh, I, I honestly can't think of anything that this doesn't touch. And it, it does include also the religious side. In fact, there is a significant interfaith presence at the COP27 uh, meetings. And I believe it was this weekend or it was the last couple of days, uh, they had an interfaith um, new unveiling of the Ten Com or an unveiling commandments. This idea of of the of the world religions coming together and having a climate Ten Commandments. Uh, of course, why not? Why not have why Ten not? Commandments for the climate? Right. So why not? It's a big deal because it it affects absolutely affects your pocketbook. It affects um, how your how your community thinks. What, what is always deemed to be important or not important, um, it is about transitioning. And it's transitioning away from a biblical understanding and understanding that first God is different, distinct from creation, to one that says, no, God and nature and man are the same. So it's, 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 this is super important. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. It just seems like every time something is transitioned, something gets cut off. I mean, that's kind of something that, uh, you know, I think we need to acknowledge that what what is being sacrificed to do something like this. And you are the author of Game of Gods. And these people, the people that are behind these machinations, I mean, you know, everybody knows Klaus Schwab, who is almost the personification of a Bond villain. We, we know these people, but there's more people behind the scenes than just Klaus Schwab. He's just the figurehead. He's just the face there are people that literally believe they know better than all of us. They can control everything and they will, they will steward us into this new era of humanity. I want you to describe a little bit about Game of Gods and what, what these people really think and what they think about us. Sure. Well, you know, I entitled my book Game of Gods and it's, and it's a big, thick book. Uh, 1800 footnotes. It's uh, extensively, extensively documented and it has to be because we're dealing with really important issues. And, and so it's, and I've entitled it Game of Gods because ultimately that's what this becomes. Uh, it becomes an act of, of salvation or a claim upon salvation that by man collectively coming together. And you're right, it's not just Klaus Schwab. Uh, there's an entire ecosystem, an ecosystem of internationalism that's been in play for decades and you brought up world war one and i go all the way back into world war one before world war one and i demonstrate last roughly 130 to 140 years specifically really realistically from the 93 parliament of the world religions which happened in chicago uh, and that became the turning point for a new thinking uh regarding internationalism that this has been a concerted intentional deliberate move it is intellectual it is religious it is cultural it is political and so uh, we tackle everything from sustainability to uh, how it it flows through the education system my very first examples are uh, through through global citizenship education which takes place in the public school right along the line of transhumanism all the way to events like Burning Man, uh, where we're living out this sense of oneness. And, and by the way, uh, my task is to go. So over the last 25 plus years, 
I've attended a large range of events from global governance forums. I was a delegate at the United Nations Millennium Forum, a um, number of, of uh, World Federalist meetings and World Federalist events, all the way to the, uh, on the other side of the spectrum, going to interfaith gatherings, the Parliament of World Religions. I was at the United Religions Summit back in the year 2000 when they kicked off their, their initi uh, initiative. And then going into the cultural side of it, attending events like Burning Man, where I'm engaged in, in, in interacting and trying to understand, okay, uh, how, how are you living this now? Because we're, we're going beyond just theoretical. We're, we're moving past the abstract. And, and you're, you're looking for a way of, of celebrating this and now living this. And, and along the you know along the road, it it seems to be the same thing. We are we are literally building our temple of man. We are we are claiming that this is the age of reenchantment, where we now feel, and this is so important, Matt. We feel connected to the earth. We feel connected to each other. We are now engaged in the politics of emotion, and it is a politics that is easily swayed uh, by your feelings. And so we jump on these bandwagons and we, we put little emojis and little stickers up on our social media uh, pages to demonstrate, yes, I'm, I'm with Team Global, you know, whether it's LGBTQ or whether it's sustainable development or whatever the latest fad is, because that's what we do now. We're not, we don't think independently. We, we are a herd. We're a collective. And Some so might we make call a mistake. The Borg. Yes. And I mean, I watch Star Trek. I don't want to be part of the Borg. And, and so oh. this is where I think you get into the, the, this, they have to force this change. And so let's take each one in and of itself. So one world government, you know, forcing the change to be plugged into the Borg and part of the cube, right? What is this going to look like at the local level? I mean, what, what should people be looking for as a manifestation of this policy at the local level? really important the local level is where things happen um and, and we tend to have this idea that we're going to see a a kind of like the world all of a sudden comes together as one no no that doesn't that's not how it operates it operates with international agendas international um platforms filtering down to the national level down then to the state provincial level and those mandates falling all the way down to the local level. So at the local level, all of a sudden you're doing green initiatives. You're doing uh, carbon neutral projects. You have a sustainable development office. Um, you have a, a, a local agenda 21 uh, campaign. You've, you've got all these, all of a sudden all these do good. And I'm using that phrase loosely because it doesn't really do good. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. You claim you're doing good. Um, but it ends up amassing to itself bureaucratic power. It amasses to itself policies and regulations. And all of a sudden you, you wonder, how is it that I need now a, a permit to blow my nose? Because that's what it gets to. It, it gets to all of a sudden we, we find ourselves wrapped up in invisible barbed wire. We feel it, but we just can't see it. And it's simply because we we are engaged at the local level now in a bureaucratic culture, a regulatory culture, an overmanaged culture, because we want to be we want to be risk averse, and the biggest risks 
have come down to us at the international level, climate change, saving the world, whatever it is. And so it filters all the way down to your boards, to your school trustees, it filters down to your local planning, that's a big one, um, to land use policies, agriculture policies. Oh, you're, you're deaf fluid in your diesel truck, you know? Mm. Right, right down to that, because all of a sudden the world is all doing this. We all are doing it. Europe does it. North America does it. Latin America does it. Meanwhile, your tractor sits for half an hour, and and you can't operate it because your your you know your your deaf has got to be burned. You know, it's got to burn off the emissions, and you're you're absolutely frustrated because you're you're losing time on the field. Um, thank you, globalization. Yeah, never right down the local level, right down your pocketbook. Doesn't work in my country. I, I don't have a choice. I pay my tithes and offerings to the new pagan religion of climate change, and I pay my tithes and offerings through my carbon taxes at the gas pump. That's as local as it gets. That's my pocketbook, well, and so that didn't happen that. in a vacuum. Yeah, and that didn't happen matter in a vacuum. That that happened over years of of international forums discussing this and saying we need to implement a carbon tax. Well, let's talk about this religious aspect to this stuff, because it really is a religion by all definitions and appearances. I mean, recently you had the Pope and the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar University, uh, the foremost university and leader in Sunni Islam jurisprudence, uh, come together and you know sign this document that is supposed to be some sort of universal truths or something like that. But really, it's just a, it's a veiled attempt at one world religion, and that's really what they want to implement. So how does that look like at the local level? At, at the local level, it changes your mindset. That's really what it boils down to. Uh, all of a sudden, your churches have become enmeshed in spirituality, but not in what is true. Uh, it, it, it also follows the same road. Of, of sustainable development, all of a sudden green programming, green initiatives. And in Canada, we have the United Church of Canada. Uh, it was Canada's flagship Protestant denomination. It's now Canada's flagship social justice uh, mechanism. Uh, my goodness, they have in their hymn book a, a song, Oh Beautiful Gaia. That, that's all of a sudden where it goes. All of a sudden you realize that, okay, here's a, here's a, a denomination that 80 years ago was rooted in biblical truth and now singing songs about Mother Earth. Well, give me a break. But that's where it goes, Matt. And so, hey, I'll give you another example. I should have grabbed it. It's in my bookshelf. Um, I come from a Mennonite background. And so the Mennonite Central Committee is the world's largest, and I hate the word Central Committee, it already should give you a little bit of, you know, kind right. of a creepy feeling. <laughs> but the Mennonite Central Committee is the the unifying body within the Mennonite community, doing lots of good works. But they're all in the, all in the same social justice green bandwagon as well. And, and so I've got a doc, some documents going all the way back to the year 2000, but one specifically, I think it was published in 2006, entitled Earth Trek. And you could take your church through a, a seven-day Earth Trek program where you realize that you're all interdependent, uh, you're all part of this universal flow of life. And at the very end of the book, in, in bold print, so you get the point, it says, this week, make an offering to the earth in the form of a prayer or some other gift. So That's paganism. 
We're pagan. We're pagan. Absolutely. Wow. We engage in and, pagan and, politics. We engage in pagan religion. It's a Romans one world. That's where we're at, Matt. It's so interesting too, because when as Christianity spread, you know, the Oracle of Delphi and all of these temples and high places, all of them were into either disrepair or torn down as Christianity spread and, and those pagan religions uh, went by the wayside with the truth of God sweeping the earth. And now we're back to the reintroduction of all of these idols, the reintroduction of earth worship, the reintroduction of sun worship, and all of these other things. And there's nothing new, literally, under the sun. And I think that, you know, when people see this, they're like, well, that's all international. All these people international. Yeah, there might be some impact locally, but what can I really do about it? I mean, I can't stop them. They have freedom of religion, too. I can't stop them. What, what, what am I to do? I, it seems like there's nothing that I can do. There's no hope. So what, how do you respond to that? And how, how do you give a call to action to folks that, yes, we can stand up against this? In fact, Christians and patriots in America and Canada right now are the last obstacle to these guys achieving their goals. You know, there are a lot of things we can do. And, and I appreciate the fact you brought it around the you know, the, the paganization, the early, the early, how the, how the early Christian community, the early church dealt with the question of paganism, because it was a pagan world. It was a raw, raw pagan world. When, when Paul goes to, to Athens in Acts 17, it's a raw pagan community. The truth wins out. And so you engage in the truth and you stand up for what is true. And it broke completely broke those cultures down, and it changed the entire face uh, of of what they believed reality to be. And it wasn't because people were silent; uh, Christians were silent in their in you know and keeping keeping quiet. Uh, no, they were standing up and being counted uh, in a significant way, and it even cost lives. Uh, it, it's I mean, it was an era where the Christian Church was born out of the blood of the martyrs. And that was because we simply would not bow our knee to the God of this world. That was it. And the God of this world at that point was, was Caesar and everything represented within that Roman pagan culture. Now, we've come full circle. And one of the arguments I make in my class, because I, I teach a class on secular pagan trends, is that if you want to know what the secular trend is, it is that we are moving away from humanist secularism and we are now embracing spiritual paganism. That's the trend. Secularism is really nothing more than this pause between one religion being rejected and a new religion coming in. And so what do we do? We speak truth. That's right. We have our voice in the marketplace. We keep our voice in the marketplace. We keep our voice in, in the school, uh, you know, to school board meetings, in our, in our churches. Boy, now we have, you know, where is one of the greatest um, places where, where the truth needs to be told? It's in our churches. It's in our own congregations. Christendom has become a mission field, sadly. So that's what we do. We remain engaged. We don't hide our heads in the sand. What happens, Matt, when you hide your head in the sand? First of all, you don't know what's around you. You don't know how close your friends or your foes are. And your ass is exposed, and it's yep, going to be kicked. kicked to the rear end. 
and it's getting kicked. So time to pull your head out of the sand. So where can people go to find out more information, uh, get involved, follow what you're doing? Because you're, you're bringing the truth out of these places. And it's not, I mean, you don't, you don't have to stretch very far. I mean, these, they're just wide open about this stuff right now, about what their intentions are, where they want to go. And so people want to follow this and, and pay attention to it and, and maybe educate some of their, their friends and family. Where can they go to do that? Well, you know, I, I edited a monthly intelligence-styled uh, online journal for nine years. It was called Forcing Change. Um, I also placed my articles there. I haven't uh, updated things in, in a while, but you can go back and access all nine years for free of our Forcing Change newsletters. And they're more like serious intelligence digest and it's free it's open for you to use uh any of the articles any of the reports that are there allow those to become points of leverage uh allow those to become um articles and issues that will help sharpen how you think and and the other thing you can do is access game of gods my book game of gods the temple of man in the age of reenchantment it is a a major resource for uh for those who want to understand uh the, all these connecting points because matt as you well know it is connecting it connects politics religion culture technology they all intermesh uh as the world is saying we want to be one um and then how to how to approach and answer that as we engage in the culture. Amen. Carl, thank you so much for joining me on Patriot Radio today. God bless you. We want to stay in touch here in the near future because it seems like things are really picking up. And I know there's more meetings of global leaders coming up. And so we want to get updates on a regular basis of what actually is happening at these meetings so people can not only prepare, but they can, again, use these as opportunities to educate. So thank you for everything that you're doing. God bless you and keep up the fight. Hey, thank you, Matt. Carl Tykrib, author of The Game of Gods, The Temple of Man and the Age of Reenchantment. And you can find him at forcingchange.org, forcingchange.org. Some great intelligence digest there. You can go back and take a look at kind of the genesis of all of this stuff and how it uh, changed over the years. And, and just the clear intentions these people have of one world government, one world economy, one world religion, and all of it under the big veil of technocracy. This is Matt Shea. Thank you so much for joining me on Patriot Radio today. God bless all of you. And he is making this generation the greatest one. Keep up the fight.